Welcome to the Once Again Podcast. We are your hosts, Ashley and Jason. Today we are looking at the television show Once Upon a Time, Season 1, Episode 1, Pilot. The episode is written by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz and directed by Mike Milode. Uh, a brief synopsis of the episode. Emma Swan is taken to a strange town by her son Henry, who she gave up for adoption years ago and tells her of a curse cast by the evil queen. And I got that synopsis off IMDb. <laughs> How clever of you. <laughs> yeah, got to cite the citations. <laughs> okay, so are we going to start with the scroll, or are we going right to Charming Galloping Over the Land Bridge? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go right ahead. Go start where the episode starts, uh, or whatever. Yeah, start with the scroll. You're well, where, wherever you feel Okay, like well, I have the scroll written down because I think it's interesting. So. Okay. Once upon a time, an enchanted forest of classic characters that we think we know, or do, or, or do we, they were sent to a place where happy endings were stolen. Our world. Mm. Which is, you know, good for the premise of the show. Mm. I, I know I, I don't really remember the, the scroll being there, but, you know, I think it's interesting that they chose to do that when, like, that's, like, you see yeah. that. Well, it's like, it's like, later. it's like Star Wars. It's like, oh, here's the information you need. Boom, you're into it. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of that a lot. Mm -hmm. And then we cut to Charming galloping on that land bridge. Mm -hmm. And, like, we see that scene so many times throughout the years. Like, I think every season we probably see that scene at least once, right? Like, Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Even just, when there's no context for that scene, it's just stuff. Yeah. There's charming galloping yeah. again. Yeah, to say once is an understatement for season. May maybe very on at the end. We don't see it more than once, but we definitely see it way more than once throughout each season. They have to get the money for the money well spent on whatever drone they used to well, get that shot. I, that's it's interesting you bring that up. Um, and when I was listening to it with the uh, commentary on it was Adam and Edward, the creators of the show and the writers and everything, and they said it was actually a helicopter shot, and the director Mark um, is terrified to fly, and they were very thankful that he made that shot because uh, they shot it in Vancouver, and uh, in March, and they they were very grateful to Mark for getting that shot because he's terrified to fly, yet he got this beautiful shot through the forest, flying over it and everything. Um, so it actually wasn't a drone, it was uh, a helicopter. Um, oh. Yeah, evidently, uh, just some behind-the-scenes notes that I have from their commentary. Uh, they began to work on the idea of the show uh, for eight years before they actually sat down and wrote it in the summer of 2010. And they wanted that opening shot to be like Led Zeppelin's House of the Holy, The, the Song Remains the Same a big bombastic opening and that's a direct quote big bombastic opening well all of it's a direct quote from them um and they decided to start off with what they thought was the most iconic happy ending which is snow white uh the prince showing up charming showing up and kissing her and waking her from the curse and everything um also they like i said they shot in vancouver and the snow in the shot uh not snow white the snow that's falling um is real it started snowing while they were shooting, and the glass coffin that she's laying in um, was a real log that they found in the forest and turned into 
the glass coffin. That's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was some pretty cool behind the scenes stuff. That makes that's that's like some real fairy tale oh, nonsense. Yeah. 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 They they were very they were stressing how uh, real everything was, which got a little suspicious in my mind, but they were like, yeah, the trees are real, the moss on the trees is real. Like, it, I mean, no wonder why yeah. they fell in love in real life. That's Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, uh, that's all I have on the opening scene for... I mean, movie. we didn't talk about one of the most important things in mm. Snow saying, you found me, oh, and Charming's iconic yes. response of, I will always find you. Of course. Again, a couple so, words we hear so many over, times. Over and over, yes. Uh, it's almost the mantra of this show. I'd be surprised. I, no, I guess it never did become the official slogan of the, of the show. But the It didn't, unofficial. but like, unofficially, it's yeah. the slogan. Yes, if they ever uh, decide to make a movie or something. That should be the subtitle of the movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, moving on, the next scene I have notes on is uh, about when the evil queen storms their wedding. Yes. Yes. She goes uh, up to yeah. ruin their day. Oh yeah. Uh, they said, uh, Adam and Edward said, they wanted to imagine how horrible it would be being the evil queen and living in this world where everyone else gets happy endings except for you. And that her uh, anger and everything comes from a place of pain, not a place of evil. And uh, I think, you know, that's displayed throughout the series with Regina. I mean, I think even later on in the series when we get more villains down the line, they mm -hmm. definitely echo that same sentiment of... Oh, they well. don't have happy endings, and that's what they're looking for. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, would you like to move on to the next scene, or do you have anything else? Uh, I was going to say that the cinematics for that the scene are kind of dope, just from, like, you know, oh, Regina yeah. kind of floating down the aisle, mm -hmm. and the whole charming throwing the sword at her, and she disappears, which, again, is just another thing we see pretty okay. consistently throughout the series. Yeah. And I if mean, we're looking at the wedding scene in particular. And for for television in 2011, not only are the costumes spectacular, but the special effects. Oh uh, yeah. For for 2011 television, very they're good too. Um, they were, they actually did mention the costume designer, and I forgot to write down their name, but um, the look that they were going for uh, wasn't Renaissance fair. They wanted. Um, fantasy chic i believe is how they referred to it and that's where all the costume ideas i mean they from. definitely made that because i would say a lot of it's more like fantasy but also modern fantasy more so than your typical like renaissance wearing corsets long gowns mm -hmm. flowiness mm -hmm. everything's really tight and yes just generally looks a lot nicer speaking of very tight things uh in the next scene the uh, creators <laughs> mentioned Emma's red dress, and they said that her red dress is a costume slash mask so that she can be vulnerable with her date and say things uh, to him that she wouldn't actually say uh, to someone that she was actually, like, she, she's not, a, she's a closed off person. She doesn't get close to people. And, but wearing this dress, this tight red dress that she wears, uh, <laughs> she she feels more comfortable letting her toughness down, or side, I should say. 
Yeah, and that's why the entire date is so awkward, even before she admits she's the bail bondswoman. It's yes. just awkward flirtiness that just made me cringe the whole time. Yes. Um, they also mentioned that that was actually Jennifer Morrison, not a stunt person, walking in the heels, in the dress, in the street. Um, and they referred to it in the script that they wrote, uh, saying it's the Terminator in Couture scene. <laughs> I mean, that's a beautiful description. Yes, yes. That is how I would describe her calmly walking after him after he leaves the date. <laughs> yes. Uh, moving along, uh, when Emma goes back to her apartment, uh, I have a note here from what they said about... Uh, the candle that she lit up, it was a blue candle, and it was supposed to be a reference to Pinocchio. I didn't pick up on this myself, but they said, you know, Geppetto wishes upon a blue star and Emma wishes upon a blue candle. So it was a reference to Pinocchio, according to them. I would not have guessed that, but no. No, okay, yeah. I suppose. Yes. Doesn't and make much sense to me. Yes. And that she hears a knock at the door, and who enters her life but Henry. Uh, the child that she gave up for adoption years ago. And they also mentioned that Henry coming back was Emma's greatest fear. So I think it's just weird. We don't know exactly what she wished for when she blew out the candle, but she blows out the candle and then supposedly... I mean, you can hear later what she did wish for, so... Oh, you're right, you're right. But um, in this moment, we don't know. And her greatest fear shows up at her door. Sometimes we have to face our fears to get what we want in life. This is true. So, anything else you'd like to say about this scene or moving right along? No, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward scene. Okay. So now we're back in the Enchanted Forest. Uh, the behind the scenes they mentioned, they wanted this conversation between Snow and Charming to feel like a real couple having a real conversation that they had discussed the curse before and had made all the same points to each other and were arguing the same points. I yeah. mean, I could see it. Yeah. I mean, again, this is where they bring up the, she uh, she uh, poisoned her because she thought she was, that the queen poisoned her with an apple because she thought she was prettier than her, which we know yes. isn't really the case. No. And I suspect that's only put in for us, the viewer, watching this for the first time, being yes. like, you know, reaching our expectations, because the show is definitely not trying to subvert your expectations at this mm. point. But mm. that's it's one of those where it's like, ah, I don't know, it didn't really fit for me, like, now that, I, you know, you know that that's not really the case. It's a weird thing to say. No, I agree. Uh... Anything else to say about this? No. Okay. <laughs> so the next scene I have notes on are the introduction to Rumple. Oh, so we're just... Okay, well, I had written because before that, we Henry and Emma are driving to yeah. Storybrooke, Maine, and we're introduced to the fact that that's where we're going, is Storybrooke, Maine. Mm -hmm. And she does ask about the book. Mm-hmm. And this is when he says that it really all happened. And, you know, he says that he's not lying. She should know because lying, telling people's lies is her superpower. 
That's right. It's yes. Something that comes up a decent amount. So yeah. best to bring that up now. Yeah, the only thing that they mentioned about that scene was uh, just about child labor laws and that they had to shoot it uh, with a certain amount of time with Jared, the kid who plays Henry. And some of the shots of the two of them looking back and forth at each other um, were just reaction shots of them having real a real conversation. They didn't know the cameras were rolling and... Uh, that they just had natural chemistry together, so they used some of the shots of them looking back and forth at each other from their real conversation when they didn't know the cameras were rolling. So I didn't have anything to say about oh, that. Oh, that's cute, though. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so I, uh, my next part is the introduction. The rumble, yeah. Once again, they mentioned that it was shot in Vancouver, that they shot the scene in a real Vancouver mine. Um... I imagine that the cage, or whatever you want to call it, wasn't really in the mine, but who knows how the, the Canadians treat their miners, maybe. Um, the, they mention uh, Snow and Charming come to Rumple for his knowledge and his foresight. Um, that originally in the script, this was the only scene that Rumple was going to be in. We weren't going to see him in the real world, uh, but then they changed that. And they also mention that the parts of Rumpelstiltskin were written for Robert Carlyle, and Snow White was written for Jennifer Goodwin. Um, so they mentioned those two specifically. They also then said, we also got all the other actors we wanted, but I think that was kind of just a Hollywood line of, uh, oh yes, and we got everyone else we wanted to. Oh, I 100% <laughs> believe they wanted Carlyle to do this. Like, he's oh, yeah. so perfect as oh, Rumpel. Yeah. Like, oh. no one else can do this. Yeah, no, I agree. And and remember, in, in 2011, Jennifer Goodwin, you know, she was always kind of the, the best friend in movies and everything like that. Yeah. She, she was an up-and-coming commodity, um, you know. So I, I believe that both of them, they did write those roles specifically for them. Um, is there anything you'd like to say about uh, Rumple being in the cage? Uh... So I think it's interesting that the one thing he says is that in 28 years, the final battle will begin, as in, mm. in 28 years she'll come to save them all from the curse. But, yes. But we know that that's not really the final battle that's starting right now, necessarily. True. True. That's true. Like, hey, feel free to cut this out, but, like, you know, we do know that this isn't the final battle that's no. starting right now. So, like... It's no. interesting how, like, plot-heavy and, like, how this isn't even in regards to this season. Like, this is six seasons so, down the line, yeah, and this so, is what's going on. Like Exactly, exactly. It's incredible that they have this amount of, like, foresight to, like, what's going to happen. Because, you know, they had to have some sort of plan for where they were going with this. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure that, the, well, um, a little bit later on, I'm going to mention something about what they were thinking about doing versus what they did and what they eventually did. Um, but I also, just for me personally, this isn't a behind the scenes or anything, I thought it was interesting how uh, when we first see Rumpel, he comes down from the ceiling, almost like a spider. I mean, it might be a little bit obvious, but like um, between this episode and episode two, just going back and re-watching them, yeah. the, the physicality of Rumpel. He's always been a threat because of magic and his knowledge and everything, but he seemed also physically a threat to me 
in in this episode and the yeah. following episode. Yeah, he's he's very in the face of everybody, even when yes. he's and he's locked up and he's still yeah very in everybody's face immediately. Yes. Yeah. So I have here uh, we have the first shots of Storybrooke. Uh, we do. And they mention that the city they made it very gray looking. Um, and Emma's yellow bug is to symbolize her bringing color and life to the town. Um, we see that the library is boarded up. That symbolizes all their stories being cut off from them. And the clock is stuck at 8.15, and that is a Lost reference, because both Adam yeah. and Edward, Edward worked on Lost previously. Uh, they actually have a couple of Lost references in this episode. And I'll point them out as we go through them. Okay, because I don't recognize any of them, so yeah, I'm going to rely on you. <laughs> I watched the first season and the last episode of Lost, and I feel like I didn't miss out on anything. <laughs> so, um, shots fired at Lost, I guess. <laughs> My apologies. I don't really have too many notes. This is, like you said, the, clock's, the clock is broken, so mm. time is frozen, which is kind of the important thing here. Mm-hmm. And Henry does kind of go over that no one can leave, and he, like, vaguely goes over, but I think episode two does a better job of, like, laying out more so what's going on, what mm. Henry thinks is going on, than episode mm. one does. I agree. That's something that they mentioned they wanted to, uh, they wanted to present it in a way that the audience knows the Enchanted Forest is real because we're viewing it, but they also want to create the doubt in the viewer's mind of it is is it real or is henry just making this up like what's going on in the real world um i don't know i every time i've watched it even the first time i watched it i was like no it is real and henry's right like yeah i've always watched yeah. it as henry is very correct about what's yeah. going on and everyone else just doubts because they're adults and yes even right. though everybody in the book looks exactly like everybody in real life so yes agreed um <laughs> The, well, not everybody. Uh, I, I got to point out Archie. Um, he, is not, <laughs> he is not a grasshopper in Storybrooke. True. Well, certainly he's not a grasshopper right now in Storybrooke. Um, we move on to the war room scene, as they referred to it. Uh, they said this was to establish the different characters from different stories being brought together. We see Snow White, the Seven Dwarves, Prince Charming, but we also see uh, Red Riding Hood and her grandmother. Interestingly enough, uh, they point out that the grandmother is knitting Emma's blanket in this scene. Granny is knitting Emma's blanket. Oh, I didn't notice that. I never noticed that either, but uh, when I went back and watched it, I was like, oh, they're right. She is she is knitting the blanket. Um, the Blue Fairy is in this scene. Um, it's, to, it's to establish different... Uh, Pinocchio and Geppetto. It's to establish the different characters from different stories living in the one world together. The Blue Fairy is such a good character, though, for like wow, we're getting all these special effects and stuff because, mm -hmm. you know, you don't expect that from a TV show, especially, like you said, in, like, 2011. Yeah. It's not yeah. really what you're expecting. Uh, for a TV show in 2011 on, uh, what do I want to say, not public television, but ABC, a broadcast television, it, uh, it really, they really did a nice job. And they also mentioned, since you brought up the Blue Fairy, that her wings are inspired by a dragonfly. 
They always thought dragonflies flew around interestingly, and so they used dragonfly wings on the blue fairy. Oh, well, that's a fun choice. Yeah. And my only other note about the war room is that we do get a lot of focus on Geppetto and Pinocchio, which makes a lot of sense going down the line. Mm-hmm. But... Agreed. Um, the next note I have is about the sheriff in Storybrooke. Oh. Um, so they said the sheriff was purposely not revealed uh, who he was in the Enchanted Forest to the audience to make them guess and wonder who he was. Uh, in the pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even further than that, because I don't think we well, know for a while. You're right. And then my next note is about them saying that they always viewed Regina as a sympathetic character. She is a good mother, and she is in the right, but we know that she is the evil queen, so we hate her. <laughs> um, and then I have that Emma's red jacket is like Charming's uh, red jacket in the Enchanted Forest. They said, uh, not that it's like it, but it's to allude to it. That she's, emulate that, yes, yeah. emulate it. Thank you. Um... <laughs> The next thing I have is about Emma's car crash. I don't know if you have any notes before that that you want to mention. Uh, no, you covered everything I was going to say. Okay, so they pointed this out, and I had never noticed it previously, um, but when Emma's car crashes, we see the storybook, and we see two pages specifically, and one was the flying monkeys from The Wizard of Oz, and the other one was the caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland. Mm. And I just thought it was... I don't know when they recorded their commentary... On the, on the Blu-ray that I watched, but they mentioned, like, it's something that they want to bring up down the line, and I just thought it was interesting because those are two stories that they will address later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my note here is that we get a really heavy play of Emma's theme, the theme mm -hmm. song for Once Upon a Time, playing mm -hmm. as she's trying to leave town. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good indication that that's not actually going to happen before the crash happens. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, my next note is about uh, Emma's eye opening when she's in jail and the shot on it, and that is, I believe, the second Lost reference. Well, we're skipping something for a oh, second. Oh, go ahead. go ahead. So, in between that, we do have another Enchanted Forest scene where the baby is coming. Oh, yes. And the tree is being, the escape pod tree thing is being built. And we also, again, the reason I bring this up is because we get the classic grumpy screaming, the curse, oh, it's here. Yes. And how many times will we see that line again? It's just, and, and from this episode is literally like, okay, we're going to see these scenes again and again and again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And from grumpy specifically saying it. Yes. Yeah. No, I agree. You're right. Um, they, they like to call back to themselves quite a lot. They call back to very specific things, especially from the first episode, mm. quite often. Mm. Um, and then I have a note here that I already mentioned about, is the Enchanted Forest real or is it in Henry's mind? Just that he's drawing parallels between Snow and Mary Margaret because of the bird. Like how in both the Enchanted Forest we see a scene with her with the bird, uh, like holding a bird and then releasing it, and Mary Margaret does the same thing in the real world. Um, evidently... They, I, they said that they were real birds, like they were trained birds that she was holding oh. and then released, and they flew onto a tree branch. Um, That's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> no. they didn't look like real birds to me, but they said that they were real birds, so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. 
Um, also, a small note is that um, that they mentioned was uh, Mary Margaret receives a pair from one of her students. And I don't understand the way that they said it. They said because Jennifer hates apples. And I, and I don't know if they meant that the actress, Jennifer Goodwin, hates apples in real life or that Jennifer came up with the idea that Snow White would hate apples. Um, because they then said, like, and, you know, we said we would never credit her with that idea, but here's the credit for it. And I was uh, like... I, interesting. Yeah. I was yeah, like, I don't know how to take that. Yeah. Um, does I, I, I'm just going to assume that the actress herself doesn't actually hate apples, that she came up with the idea that hate apples. Mary Margaret slash Snow White would hate apples. Um, so I think Snow says a lot of interesting things here, too, in this... Uh, she does say about birds that if you love them and they love you, they will always find you, which is going to call back yes. to her and charming. Uh, they will always find you stuff because you can't get away from it. No. And that when she gave Henry the book, she gave it to deal with his loneliness and dealing with stuff in the world, but that she gave him the most important thing, and that's to have hope and believing in happy endings is a powerful thing. Mm. And clearly that is, like, the theme of this entire show laid out right there. Yes, I agree. Um, I think you're 100% right. Moving on, um, the next scene is when Emma is born. Yep. Um, the only note that I have in here is that... Emma's blanket that she's wrapped in, we see, they mentioned that we see it in her apartment, that it's draped over one of the chairs in her apartment, and yeah. my, my previous mentioned that Granny was knitting it during the war room scene. I mean, I, I just, I love the, like, everything about, like, this scene and, like, Charming taking the sword pin in one hand and baby in the other and, like... That that's actually a direct line that they, they said, uh, they told, I believe his name is Josh Dallas? Yeah, Josh Dallas. They told him, this is your big hero scene. You're going to have a sword in one hand and a baby in the other. And <laughs> You're just gonna hack up guards as you take Emma to the tree. They mentioned the original idea before the series got picked up was that Charming would actually die here. Uh, fight, like, when he gets stabbed, that he was going to be dead. And they said they later came to the realization, which I think as Hollywood speak for the studio told them otherwise, that they would have to keep Charming alive. Um, so I'm that, so glad they did. I mean, yeah. I'm sure Jennifer Goodwin and Josh Dallas are glad they did. For those who don't know, they're, they're married in real yes. life. So, oh, yeah. like, yeah. true love really is happening right, I, <laughs> right in the show. Did they, did they meet on this show? Or They did. They, they met okay. on the show and fell in love. Like, they are literally Prince Charming and Snow White. They fell in love. Yeah. This is their love story. We're watching it. We are. And uh, kept him out of uh, some Marvel movies doing this show. Badly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's okay. His character in the Marvel movies dies anyway uh, without him playing it. But yeah, um, the mention was that he was... Uh, Actually, that Charming was actually going to be killed off by the evil uh, the evil Queen's knights. I almost said the evil knights queens, but <laughs> sounds like a chess move. Um, no, he uh, yeah, uh, it, you're right. It's a good thing that he didn't die. Um, I 
before going back in and watching this, I had actually forgotten, like, why was Charming in the real world in a coma? And this would very much explain uh, why. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot he gets stabbed. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And Regina... Totally, like, I'm so used to him not being stabbed in a coma. No, like, of course. Um, and Regina... Actually, I think out of all the protagonists... Um, he might go through the ringer the most. Um, uh, we'll, yeah, that's we'll, pretty accurate. We'll address the issues as they come up, but I think the most stuff happens to him, at least physically. Um, probably not psychologically, but at least physically, the most stuff happens to him. Um, but yeah. And Regina gets to gloat a little bit. Um, yep. And then the storm comes, the curse comes, and takes them away. Uh, the well, next... in between, we do have, they have that, and then there is the scene in between where Henry's at the beach playground, his castle, yes, and Emma's right. bringing the book back, and he's kind of bummed because the clock still hasn't moved, because mm -hmm. Emma clearly hasn't made the choice to stay yet, so nothing's changed. Mm -hmm. And they argue a bit because, you know, she says she's not the savior and that she like she's is, denying everything he's saying essentially this is something that i think um we can get discuss in later episodes but it's really prevalent in season one not as much in the other seasons for various reasons but uh emma's treatment of henry i mean granted i know she doesn't know him uh i know she has her own issues and everything but um, really in episode two, uh, there's some stuff going on that I'm like, wow, Emma, that, that's not cool to do to a kid. Yeah, she says things, she keeps him at arm's length, but also kind of like, keeps him very close. It's very, it's, it's not good. Yeah, it's a, it's a specific thing that I want to mention when we get to episode two, but. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll save that for later. Um. The next note that I have is another Lost reference, and it's that uh -huh. Reg Regina's house number is 108, because there was a bunker that whenever it got to 108 minutes, they had to hit a button. Um, oh, yeah. I, like I said, I, I only watched season one and the last episode of Lost, so... So, um, we're watching Lost once we're done watching this. I got it. Oh, uh, well... No. Kidding, we're not committing to that. I'm not no, committing no, no. to that. No. Having only watched season one and the final episode, um, no, I don't want to do that. Um, and then my last note here for episode one was that uh, David in the coma was supposed to be the ending shot of episode two, but they decided to put it in the pilot to give the viewers hope that Snow and Charming would get together. I mean, I think it's a good idea. I do think it makes sense because, like, we do we don't even see anything about the hospital or anything the second episode at all. Mm. Like, mm. it's definitely a disconnect. Mm. Uh, but I do, you know, you said that, but I think the last scene is really when Emma gets the room at, room at Granny's, which I think is the only time we ever see the front of Granny's 
bed and breakfast, like the front of the actual bed and breakfast, not the dining. Yeah, yeah, no, I we never see the front of that building. I don't think ever again. I I noticed it myself specifically. I was like, wait a minute, that's not what Granny's looks like. And yeah, I like, and I don't know because like the diner and the bed and breakfast are clearly separate, but it's mm. like we never again mention the fact that there's a bed and breakfast, mm. and like we don't even really see the bed and breakfast no. later on, like in later seasons. I think it's only really the season. Well, and it's there that we see I think there's anything all, about it. I, if memory serves, and I'm probably wrong about this, but if memory serves, I think only one other character actually even stays there throughout the entire series. Maybe two, but maybe two. You're 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 right. No, nobody yeah. really stays there. Yeah. And so how does you know? I that... think this is this is important too because Mr. Gold shows up. At Granny's and she, too. she gives him a big wad of cash. Gives him a big wad of cash, how, and how Granny does she do that? and Granny says that he owns the town, so he did get that good life he wanted. Yeah. Uh, and and he gets very excited when he hears Emma's name. Yes, he makes it a very big point to say Emma like mm -hmm. twice, like very clearly. Mm -hmm. And then the really the most important thing is Granny hands her the keys, says "Welcome to Storybrook," and the clock starts to move mm -hmm. because. That's and that makes Emma Henry, has made the conscious decision to stay. So and that makes Henry happy. It does. Yes. All right. Well, that was our analysis of episode one. Uh, if you enjoyed this well-oiled machine and would like to contribute to it, uh, we are in the process of getting a Patreon going. Um, we're setting up the tiers and. You know, it's first come, first serve. The earlier people, if you uh, sign up for a certain tier, maybe you can make a recommendation because we're not even entirely sure what uh, what rewards to give for certain tiers. We have some ideas. Um, we're also going to be doing some Patreon-exclusive episodes that we think are pretty fun ideas. But uh, help us out. And, uh, you know, whatever platform you find this on, like, share, uh, recommend to your friends. Uh, if you know any Oncers out there and you just happen to stumble upon this and you've never watched Once Upon a Time, well, welcome tell them. to welcome to the family. <laughs> yeah, I, I recommend firing up the old uh, Disney Plus app and getting on the show and then coming and listening to us and our perspectives. Uh, thank you very much. I've been thank Jason. Thank you. I'm Ashley. And this has been once again.